We're going to be reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through to 9, and you'll find that on page 829 in your um, Red Pew Bibles. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but, like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Now let's uh, pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word, that it is a light to our feet, and that uh, it is a... Uh, It is food for our soul. Uh, Father, we pray that as your word is thought about and read and taught now here and in the hall, that uh, we would all be nourished and uh, we would be uh, informed and we would be transformed by the power of your word and spirit. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Recently I heard a, about a lady who did not get into trouble at work. Uh, the reason I say that is because she could have gotten into trouble at work. Uh, she is employed in a junior position, but she'd done some work which had found its way through her department and onto senior management of the company. And the problem was that in her work she'd made a mistake and it was a mistake that senior management had thought was not a mistake and they had acted on it and therefore they were not particularly happy with what they had done. However, when the issue was raised with the head of the department from which department this work came, the head of the department decided not to pass the blame downwards. Uh, Instead, as the department head, he chose to take responsibility, he chose to take the blame, and he chose not to mention the uh, member of his staff who had prepared the work. Uh, He knew that for him it would be a black mark, but for her it would be far more serious. And so what he did was he shielded her from that. And he also talked to her to try to help her to improve her work as well. 
doesn't always work out like that in the workplace, does it? Uh, no, it, um, the workplace can sometimes be, uh, resemble a bit of a battle zone, uh, whether it's the conflict between management and workers, or whether it's the, the politics of the office, uh, which sometimes can have a, a subtle and not so subtle undercurrent of competition as people climb over the top of each other in order to move up another rung on the corporate ladder. And so in that context, it is really refreshing when we hear stories about well, the boss who was prepared to set aside the possibility of his own promotion uh, for the sake of concern for the well-being of the person who was under him. Now, in the latter part of Ephesians, Paul has been spelling out what it means to live in Christ and in relationships. And he's fleshed out the kinds of relationships that we're involved with. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, what it means to be in Christ and in a marriage. Uh, last week, we looked at what it meant to be in Christ and in a family as a parent or a child. And in chapters 6, verses 5 through to 9, if you want to have that open up in front of you, he now moves on to uh, flesh out what it means to live in Christ and in the workplace. Now, I'm conscious that not all of us here are in paid employment, but uh, for most of us, uh, if it's not part of our present, it has been part of our past, or it will be part of our future. And so how should we therefore live in Christ when we are in the workplace? In first century Ephesus, the workplace was very different to what the workplace is like today. Uh, last Wednesday in men's business, I said to the blokes, I said, listen, um, you know, have, ever, have you guys, have you ever felt like slaves when you've been at work? And uh, one of the fellows says, well, I used to be an apprentice. And I think we all understood what he meant by that. But in Ephesus, as part of the Roman Empire, slavery was, was not just a feeling. Slavery was a reality. They say that uh, when a society reaches a point where 30%, around 30% of the population are, um, are slaves, then... Uh, is my mic working? It's not working. I thought it was. Jacob, is my microphone's not working? It's not switched on? It is now. Okay, cool. Um, they say that in a, in, a, in, a work, in a society, if 30% of the population are slaves, then what you have is a slave society because it means that the fabric of the society, the economy, the social structure and so on, depends on slavery, much like the southern states of the US in the, up until the end of the 19th century. Uh, in Ephesus, which was the second largest city in the world with a population of 250,000 in the first century, about 60,000 people were slaves. So it was about 25% of the population. Some of them would have been slaves because they had been born into slavery because their mother was a slave. 
Some of them might have been slaves because they had uh, sold themselves into slavery in order to pay back a debt. And uh, many would have been slaves because, well, they were prisoners of war, that they, they at one stage had been cap um, taken captive uh, because that's the way that the Romans grew their empire was by taking over neighbouring people and, uh, and capturing people and making them into slaves. And so, but it was a different kind of slavery to the more the slavery that we see more latterly in history, particularly, say, for example, the African slaves that went to the Caribbean and to America and so on, because these were fellow Europeans these, and these were fellow Mediterranean type of people. So same kind of race, uh, same skin colour. Uh, technologically and socially, they were very much the same, not very different what, at all. Uh, it was just that their army wasn't quite as strong as the Roman army. And so amongst these slaves, there were farmers, there were tradesmen, there were businessmen, there were accountants, there were labourers, there were doctors, there were um, builders, there were, and so on. It was a, like a cross-section of society. And amongst the women, many of the women uh, were able to work as midwives, as nannies and uh, as, as actresses. Um, many of the slaves, of course, had menial roles, but some of them were appointed to positions of responsibility, um, such as managing businesses or teaching the children of a household. Uh, a good number of the best doctors were, were slaves and so on. And occasionally, a master would even marry a female slave after first freeing her. Slavery also was not seen as being permanent. Um, slaves could be granted their freedom um, sometimes they were allowed to set up businesses of their own so that they could earn some money, so that they could actually buy their way to freedom. But in a sinful world where one human being could actually own another human being, uh, there was plenty of scope for abuse. Uh, and so in order to control slaves, masters would, uh, would threaten them. They would threaten them with um, physical violence, they would threaten them sexually, uh, they would threaten them emotionally uh, in order for them to, to behave and to do what the slave master wanted. Uh, one of the big threats that they could issue would be that if the slave did not uh, behave rightly, then they would sell that slave to another slave master to separate the slave from his wife and his kids. Or they would threaten to sell the wife so that the man would, the families would be split, and they would be split permanently, and so uh, or for a long term. So they were the kind of threats that uh, were issued against slaves. And it was into this this social context that the the gospel began to be proclaimed. So as Paul went to Ephesus and he. Uh, taught the gospel there for two years in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Uh, people came, they heard the gospel, um, people believed the gospel, and over time as Christians then shared the gospel with other people, the gospel infiltrated all kinds of strata of society. And so imagine that. <clears throat> there were people who were becoming Christians who were slaves. There were people who were becoming Christians who were owners of slaves. So therefore, what happens when the, when the, when the Christians gather together? Uh, you've got in the one congregation, 
you've got a congregation of God's people where masters and slaves are now in this different relationship and it's called brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're united in that. So you might even have a situation in the congregation where you've got the, the master and the slave of the same household sitting in church together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, how does that um, work its way through in terms of their relationships? Uh, in verses 5 through to 9, we get a picture of how the gospel should then uh, impact the work life of a slave. Uh, we get a picture of how the gospel should change a master. And as we think about it, it helps us to know how we ought to be living in Christ and in the workplace. So firstly, let's have a look at what Paul says to slaves. I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 8. Verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not just, not only to win their favour, but uh, when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. Now, some people have criticised the Apostle Paul for not speaking out against slavery. Um, but in the Roman Empire, <clears throat> what Paul says here is actually very liberating. And I want to flesh that out a little bit. He says that slaves are to obey their earthly masters with respect and with a sense of trembling. But not just when the boss is watching you. Uh, the term that Paul uses here uh, literally means eye service. Uh, and it's, it seems actually that Paul invented the word. Uh, we're not sure about that, but the scholars say that <clears throat> the, the word eye service uh, only seems to appear here and they can't find earlier um, earlier times when it's actually used. So you might have actually coined the word eye service. And you can imagine what eye service was like. You can imagine a slave slacking off when the boss isn't around, but uh, then getting you know, very busy when the boss turns up. And there's a few reasons why he or she might do that. A, to avoid punishment. Um, B, to make a good impression if they were hoping to get to be considered to be a good slave so they'd be appointed to a better slave job or C, maybe they were aiming in the future to be released from slavery, perhaps to buy their own freedom. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul even suggests that there is the, the possibility that a Christian slave, if they have a Christian master, may think that because their master is now a brother or sister in Christ, that they can slacken off, that they don't have to actually honour uh, their master as much as what they used to. 
Uh, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 is the reverse. He says, well, actually, if your master is a brother or sister in Christ, you ought to be actually working better for them because you know that those who receive the benefits of that are part of your spiritual family. So he countenances that uh, possibility in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, in the modern workplace, I guess there's a whole stack of tricks that people get up to in order to impress the boss. I don't know what they all are. Uh, you know, when I was working in the head office at Colgate Palmolive, I guess the most obvious thing that people did was that you, if the boss was around, you never left the office at 5 p.m. Uh, you, no one wanted to be seen as the person who was getting into the elevator just a few minutes after five. Not if the boss, you wanted to make sure that the boss saw you working overtime. Even better was uh, if you could manage to get to work before the boss so that you're slaving away at the desk, you know, when he or she walks in in the morning. Very, very impressive. I'm told that these days with emails that it's easier than that because the, the trick these days is, when you, is to send out your work emails from home because emails actually state the time that the email was sent. And you just make sure you send it at uh, 11 p.m. or at midnight and hope that the boss takes notice of that, how diligent, how keen you are. Of course, I guess if they didn't tell, if the emails didn't say what time the email was sent, people would somehow manage to get it sent between nine and five, wouldn't they? But it's about, it's eye service. It's eye, I, now, I'd better stop here. I don't want to give you any ideas. Um, <laughs> but why would a Christian slave bother to work diligently when the boss was not around? And in what sense is that somehow liberating? Friends, if we are in Christ, then we are in a higher relationship. Uh, no matter how important our masters may be, they are only ever middle management. They're only ever middle management. In verses 5, 6 and 7, Paul reiterates that we first and foremost, are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we serve Jesus, that he is our master, and because of what he has done for us, that he has liberated us from the slavery that we were bound to, the slavery to sin and death and judgment, because he has liberated us from that, then we want to serve him that he is now our master. And so we want to please him. We want to do what pleases God. In verse 5, Christian slaves should do God's will from the heart. Now, as we've worked through Ephesians, we've talked about what God's will for us is. God's will is that we should be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. God's will is that we should treat people with, with respect, with dignity, with honour, with integrity and with faithfulness. And so therefore to do that in the workplace, to do God's will as servants of Christ Jesus in the workplace means that we are going to serve with honesty, with faithfulness, with integrity. And we will do so 
whether the boss is watching or not. We're not talking about eye service. We're talking about Christ service here. Now, of course, a slave could quite understandably be concerned if they were doing a terrific job, which the boss never saw, and therefore he never rewarded them for it. We can understand that. But in verse 8, Paul goes on to say, don't worry about that. Don't worry if, the master, if your earthly master never sees what you do, because guess what? Senior management always sees what you do. And he will reward you because there is a last day coming. There is a final day coming. And so the motivation that Christians have to serve is, first of all, that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and secondly, that there is a day of judgment there is a day when we will receive the salvation of our souls, the reward for our faithfulness, and we to be motivated by that. So what word does Paul now have to say for the slave masters? Let's move on, shall we, to verse 9. In verse 9, Paul says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Now, friends, in the Roman Empire, this was absolutely stunningly radical, that someone should actually tell the masters how to treat their slaves. And these masters are told to treat their slaves in the same way that he says that the slaves are to be treating them, with respect and with trembling. They were not to threaten slaves. Now, for some slave owners, that would make no sense at all. I mean, how else do you control your slave? They thought the only way to control slaves was by threatening to abuse them physically and sexually and emotionally, to beat them, to whip them, to separate them from their families. But Christian slave owners, well, Paul says that you're actually slaves yourself. Uh, you're only middle management. Uh, and God is your master too. The same Lord who is your slave's Lord is your Lord. And so having told slave owners not to threaten their slaves, he then goes and issues them with a veiled threat. They too will be judged one day because being a Christian involves repentance. It involves a change of lifestyle. Whether you're the emperor of Rome or whether you're the slave in, a, in the galley of a ship, your earthly status means nothing to God. God is no respecter of persons. Now, what therefore are some of the implications of this? Well, first of all, let me say that I think this passage impacts, the, impacts our attitude towards our work. Now, I understand that there are some people who just love to get up out of bed every day, who just love to get to work because they love their work and it's so fantastic. I, I've heard about such people. I, I don't think I've met too many of them. Um, for most of us, 
you know, there's parts of our work that we really enjoy, there's parts of our work that we don't really enjoy. But we know that it's good to earn an income and we know that it's good to be productive. But the workaday life is hard. Sometimes it is hard because of sheer stress and pressure and frustrations. Sometimes it's hard because of boredom and drudgery. Uh, I've worked in both of those kind of situations. Uh, once I worked on a production line in a factory when uh, my task involved uh, operating a machine which screwed screws into telephone sockets. And so I would sit at the production line and there were, I did two small hand actions and one small foot action on a pedal repeated 5,000 times every day. Now, I only did that for a few weeks. Uh, the refugee lady next to me, that was her life. And sometimes we think well, it's hard to derive a great sense of meaning and satisfaction out of that. In Genesis chapter 3, as a consequence of the fall, we will now earn our living by the sweat of our brow. Between the fall and heaven, work is going to be hard. But what this passage tells us, uh, and bear in mind also that there are people who are seeking their self-actualisation through their jobs, through their careers, not realising the doctrine of Genesis chapter 3. What I think this passage tells us is that godliness is more important than the particular job that we do. We serve Jesus, which means that we are faithful to our employer and it means that we are caring towards our staff. We serve Jesus, which means that we treat people in the same way that God has treated us. And so whether we're at the top of the corporate ladder or where we're, whether we're screwing screws into telephone sockets, our work is valuable. Your work is valuable. And it's valuable because of who you're serving. We serve Christ Jesus. That gives an intrinsic value to everything which we do. Because what matters to him is how we do it. What matters to him is our godliness, that we treat other people as being more important than ourselves, that we treat other people with respect, with kindness, with dignity. And so if there's a Christian master who thinks that that's below him or her, then they need to reflect on the Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler of the universe who suffered the indignity of the cross for us. Now, secondly, some people wonder why doesn't Paul just simply command the slave owners to release their slaves? I mean, is Paul somehow supportive of slavery? That's the accusation that's sometimes made against him. 
Paul actually did on one occasion that we know of um, press for a particular slave to be released from slavery. Do you remember who that was? Some of you might know. What was his name? The slave who had escaped from his master. He was a non-Christian. He'd escaped from his master. Uh, he'd somehow made his way to a place where he somehow met up with the Apostle Paul who shared the gospel with him and he became a Christian. And Paul said, well, you're a Christian now. You've got to go back to your slave master. But he sent his slave master, who was also a Christian, who knew Paul, a letter saying it'd be a really good idea if you released this guy. Do you remember who that was? What was his name? The slave's name was Philemon. Sorry, the slave's name was Onesimus. The slave owner was Philemon. Um, Paul did have a problem with slavery. In 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, he lists slave traders, which is a bit different, but he lists slave traders along with murderers in condemnation. Um, if you come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a moment, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll pick it up at verse 20. That's on page 810. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7 verse 20, uh, Paul says to the Corinthian congregation, uh, again a mixture with pe people with slaves in, in the congregation, he says, each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. That is, when you became a Christian. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is now the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is now Christ's slave. Right? So uh, it's interesting what the gospel does, isn't it? That the gospel... You know, the person who's a slave, the gospel liberates them. Uh, the person who's free, the gospel makes them a slave of Christ. <laughs> we're all liberated, but we're all slaves of Christ. Paul understood that slavery need not be permanent, and so here he does encourage slaves, if they've got the opportunity to buy their freedom, then go for it. Why not? And it's the same deal today. If you've got the opportunity to get a better job, um, then why not? You know, go for it. But his top priority is not that um, is not emancipation of Romans uh, of slaves. His top priority is that men and women, slave or free, should be released from their slavery to sin. That Jesus should be the master of their lives. Which, of course, by the way, is true freedom, isn't it? True freedom is found when we are released from our slavery to sin and we actually become slaves to Christ. Because when we're serving Christ, we're doing the very thing for which we have been created. And that is where true freedom is to be found. And so imagine the slave who becomes a Christian and then he or she hears the words of Ephesians chapter 6 and starts to put it into practice. His non-Christian master cannot understand what has happened. 
Uh, the non-Christian master cannot understand why the slave is now so responsive, so gracious, so diligent. What impact would that have on the master? Or imagine the slave master who becomes a Christian, who used to threaten and dehumanise and exploit his or her slaves, but now encourages them, but now watches their back for them, but now actually does good for them because the master has come to realise that he or she has a master in heaven. Um, That lady I mentioned whose mistake had upset senior management, uh, when she found out what had happened, she could not understand why her boss had shielded her. And so she, she spoke to him about it. She said, why did you do that? You could have just, you didn't have to take the blame for it. Why did you take the blame for it? And he was able to share with her about someone who had once taken the blame for him, about someone who had once shielded him by accepting his punishment when he offered his own life on the cross. Someone who he said to her that he now considered to be senior management of his life. Our work and our evangelism, they are not separate entities. Our work and our witness go hand in hand because as we work as true servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, God can use us to truly serve and to truly impact on the lives of those with whom we work. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who Though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. We thank you, Father God, that he did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but that he humbled himself, that he became a man obedient even to the cross. We thank you, Father God, that he is our servant king, that he is our master, that has given us the true model of what it means to serve. When he washed the feet of the disciples, when he humbled and lowered himself. Father, we pray for each one of us in our uh, work situations, for those of us who are employed in full-time work or part-time work. We pray, Father God, that we would do so with um, faithfulness and diligence, with love and with care, because we know that Ultimately, uh, you're the one we're serving. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.